Hey guys, so I know that we have been talking about the OBG project for a very long time, but I just wanted to highlight that the reason that Nick and I really love this resource is that it really keeps us up to date on everything that's happening in the OBGYN world and the medical world at large. One of the things that I know that we are all concerned about and are hearing about every day in the news is coronavirus and how it's been affecting us as physicians and of course also how it's been affecting our patients. The OBG project has put together great resources summarizing the recommendations from our governing bodies such as ACOG and SMFM, as well as other um, medical governing bodies about COVID-19 and gives us a really good way to keep up to date with all the new information that's coming out. I receive all of my information through text and email, which is the easiest way for me to access that. And OBG First, which is their subscription process, really makes this very easy. If you're a chief resident like Nick and I, this is absolutely free for you for that first year. So definitely go ahead and check out the OBG project and subscribe to OBG First if you find that this is helpful for you. We have really found that this has been a huge resource for us this year. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is... Creogs over, over coffee. coffee. Today we'll be doing part of our med ed series. We will be talking about our first podcast on wellness. Get excited. <laughs> so Nick, what are our learning objectives for today? So today we're going to talk about some scientific evidence behind physician wellness and why it's important if we couldn't state it any further. We'll talk about some ways to promote physician wellness specifically for resident physicians and we're not just going to talk about pizza, ice cream parties, or more yoga. And then we'll also talk about some things that we're doing at Brown um, and things that we've heard about at other hospitals that have been adopted in order to promote wellness and hopefully you can take some of these things back to your place. So before you turn this off, though, again, you're like, oh, God, I just heard the word wellness because it's a buzzword in all of the world. Why has wellness become this four letter word in medicine, Faye? Well, I feel like, you know, and you're right, Nick, I feel like every time we say the word wellness, whether it's here, whether it's around other people, whether it's during lecture, I feel like everybody just like rolls their eyes and sighs. And it's probably because a lot of residencies, a lot of hospitals, yes, even ours, wellness sometimes just means free ice cream or pizza, which, you know, that's nice for the moment that we get the free food, but it doesn't really address the wider problem of what is causing um, people to have low wellness. And specifically, it does not address the problem that I think we are all facing right now, specifically because we're in the middle of this pandemic, which is physician burnout. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I think, you know, this podcast is coming out at a good time. I think we're all feeling the stress and the anxiety of the unknown. It's particularly important right now to reach out if you are um, someone going through this um, to get help or alternatively, if you're in a position of leadership, to reach out to your residents or trainees to discuss mental health because I think that is number one really, really important. Um, so Nick, what are some things that we can be doing now to address our mental health even in this time of social distancing? Yeah, so you know, one of the, I think, most important things to do um, is to be able to reach out to somebody um, if you are struggling. Um, again, 
reaching out to folks who are trusted within your program or your partner or your family. Um, it's important to maintain those social connections. And it's really hard to do that right now because of the imperative for social distancing that we're hearing about all the time. Yeah. Um, but doing everything that you can, you know, obviously using like Faye and I are on Skype right now recording this podcast using technology like that or Zoom or FaceTime is, again, a good way to try and get some of that social interaction still. Another thing that can be really challenging is folks who benefit from like talk therapy. Obviously, that also revolves around having an interface to be able to do that, a person to person interaction. Um, and there's so much movement now. I'm sure that everybody in their residency clinics at this point is experimenting to some degree with telehealth. There's also a good amount of teletherapy that's out there. Um, and so we wanted to highlight some of those resources. Two of them include betterhelp.com, um, which offers virtual chat and online face-to-face -face sessions for about 40 to $70 a week, and talkspace.com that can get um, about $25 a week with just text um, and a little bit more if you want face-to-face -face sessions, but you can get $100 off with a code 100 number 4U, uh, letter U that is. So number 100, then 4, then U. Be sure to look um, too with your employee health program or HR department about employee assistance programs, um, and whether too, whether your employer-sponsored insurance or even whether your hospital at this point is covering some form of online mental health services. Uh, Women and Infants Hospital and across our network, we're actually doing some of that right now. So it's worthwhile to take a look and see what your hospital offers for resources. Faye, kind of coming back to the crux of what we wanted to set out for this podcast to do is to talk about wellness, but I think to begin any talk about wellness, we always talk about burnout, right? What is burnout exactly? Yeah, so burnout was first coined in, 19, in the 1970s by the psychologist Herbert Freudenberger. So he name. defined, that is a name, yes. <laughs> he defined this as emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a decreased sense of personal accomplishment due to work-related stress. Um, and so, you know, the next question then is, you know, why are physicians, particularly residents, burnt out? And there's been lots of proposed reasons. We know we work super long hours, we see stressful things all the time, and we have to numb ourselves to these stressful things like people passing away, and we're still expected to be learning and studying throughout all of this. We don't really have work-life balance at all, meaning, I mean, how are you supposed to when you're working 12 to 16 hour days? Um, and some studies have even quoted that burnout is as high as 47 to sometimes 70% among surgical residents. Wow. So the problem that's, that burnout creates and why we care about it is because, of course, one, it leads to poor quality health care. There are higher rates of medical errors. Um, and in one study, of those that met criteria for burnout, 50% also met criteria for depression, and 9% had at-risk alcohol use. Clearly, burnout is something bad, and we need to learn how to combat it. So how do we do that and not just promote wellness, which I think has become that four-letter word like we talked about? Um, but I actually do like the way that the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine has framed it, which is to say thrive. So how do we stop burnout and thrive? One of the things that's so important to any discussion about thriving is to acknowledge the fact that 
the stressor, the creator of burnout really is the institution of medicine in and of itself. Why do we need to work as much as we do? Why do we put up with the sort of conditions of the past as an excuse to not move forward? Why do we think that physicianship is not inclusive of having a family or other like important human values. No, and those are all really important questions that we have to continue to wrestle with, I think. Speaking specifically about work hours, ACGME placed some work hour limitations for residents starting in July 2003 with a change to, as we know now, the 80-hour work week. The literature suggests to some degree because of this resident burnout has decreased and resident satisfaction and well-being has increased due to these work hour limitations. The prevalence of burnout from some of these cited studies has decreased from about 74% to 58%. But Faye, 74 to 58%? Yeah, that's really? still more than half of residents that are burned out in that study. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's great and all that there's this focus on particularly the amount of time that we spend in clinical locations, the amount of time that we spend working. But I think what studies really have started to look at and what we should continue to talk about um, are overall institutional and cultural changes that can lead to a bigger difference in resident wellness. What have some of those things been that have been trialed? So one thing that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst um, by Bowman et al. in 2017 was a proposed model of physician wellness with a three-pronged approach. So the title of this uh, article was Physician Wellbeing, the, Re the Reciprocity of Practice Efficiency, Culture of Wellness, and Personal Resilience, and basically suggested that we should improve on all three of those fronts, so practice efficiency, culture of wellness and personal resilience to promote maximum wellness. Um, and frankly, pizza and ice cream parties don't really do much for any of these three arenas. Let's kind of talk about what each of those three things mean. So that first one is this culture of wellness. Um, and this really can't just come from the individual. This really needs to come from the institution, which is partly addressed by decreasing work hours like we talked about before. Culture of wellness is really having a, a work environment that allows for wellness to occur. So while we'd all probably love a 40-hour work week or less, mm -hmm. that's not exactly possible with everything we need to learn. So, you know, what are the other possibilities out there? So in 2015, in the Journal of Graduate Medical Education, um, Dr. Daskovich um, and their colleagues had an article titled Promotion of Wellness and Mental Health Awareness Among Physicians in Training, Perspective of a National Multi-Specialty Panel of Residents and Fellows. We'll post the link to that uh, study. Basically, they asked a group of 29 residents and fellows to identify existing resources to address resident wellness, um, also to envision what the ideal learning environment would be like, and to determine how the existing infrastructure could be modified to approach the ideal. Um, they had a whole table of things that they wanted to change and to implement, but the biggest things that they talked about here was basically having effective mentorship by faculty or senior trainees with formalization of mentorship systems and wellness activities, and then also awareness and destigmatization of mental health issues and systems to prevent and respond to mental health issues with services available and an overall supportive residency culture. Later on down the line, we can actually address how some of these things can look. 
So that's one prong of it, which is that culture of wellness. Nick, can you talk to us a little bit about that second prong, that efficiency of practice? Yeah. So this really focuses on a concept that I think can be really hard to grasp with new trainees, but is important is that the efficiency of how you work, achieving productivity with minimum wasted effort is really important. You know, we all sort of recognize this, I think, as we move along, but you think about your intern that needs an hour to see a labor patient in triage versus your senior resident who can get them worked up with a whole H&P and orders done in under 20 minutes. The idea behind efficiency altogether is that it gives you more time to focus on other areas of your life and even in your work um, that allows you really to develop some personal resilience, which we'll talk a little bit more about momentarily. We all went into medicine to help patients in the end, right? Um, and we didn't want to help computers. Uh, exactly. I think that that's fair enough to say. Um, but by becoming more efficient within the workflow and schemes that we have, you're spending more time with your patients and less time on your computer. There are many ways that from an institutional level and an individual level that you can work towards achieving that efficiency. You should definitely identify areas where things are held up and make those things better with the EMR. One example for us was that for a while we had paper prescriptions required for narcotics and they kept getting lost and we needed to keep reprinting them and it really was just like a breakdown in the system of print the script, get them hand delivered to wherever they were supposed to go and then somewhere along the way before the patient left the hospital, like the script would get thrown away accidentally or something would happen with the papers and then we didn't know what happened with it. But electronic prescribing was a solution that we finally invested in and now we don't have the issue and actually it's made prescribing altogether a much, much easier thing. It takes half the time as it did to do the old paper scripts. You know, and then other things like using smart phrases, dot phrases, uh, whatever you call them to be able to improve documentation and be complete in documentation is important. And kind of, again, spending the appropriate amount of time to be accurate, but not overly burdening yourself with including every single small detail. It's also partially personal. Again, there are some things that you can do like to increase typing speed or to focus your own sort of question line or interaction with patients to be able to like focus again to make an efficient transition at work. Faye, we mentioned very briefly a second ago um, this personal resilience. Tell me a little bit more about that. So I think this personal resilience is kind of hard to define, um, and it can look different for everyone. Everyone has a different amount of personal resilience coming into residency or physicianhood, and it may have developed because of how they were raised, their childhood, their home life. So really hard to pinpoint specifically. But I like to think of it as a person's ability to recover quickly from difficulty or to persist in the face of harshness or difficulty. I think the person who describes it best is Dr. Angela Duckworth from uh, the University of Pennsylvania. She wrote a whole book about it. It's called, and she calls it toughness or grit. Um, the book is called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And there's a great podcast from NPR that we'll also post the link to. So for more definition and talk about that, certainly check out that podcast. Um, but the question is, how do we develop this? 
this? Um, And again, hard to answer in a 15-minute podcast. But I think this is where that portion of taking care of yourself comes in. And maybe this is why people are promoting yoga or meditation or pizza parties or whatever. Because maybe that's the thing for you that makes it so that you can persevere and you develop your personal resilience in that time and you can recover your resilience um, once it's been hit hard by something that comes across your path. At the same time, though, this is why things like pizza parties and ice cream parties may not be effective. It may be helpful for some people to develop their personal resilience, but really for others, that thing may be spending time with their family, going to the dentist, making doctor's appointments for themselves or their families. So this is something that is individualized, and I think, you know, the way that certain institutions, even ours, has been guilty about trying to handle it is by putting something down that is like a blanket activity that they think can increase personal resilience. So having gone through those three areas uh, to develop wellness, what are some concrete examples, Nick, that we can kind of give our listeners so that they can have some, I guess, something to take away from all of this? So yeah, we'll pull a couple from the literature here. One comes from the Harvard South Shore Psychiatry Residency Program um, that was written up in Biomed Central Medical Education Journal in 2019 that started out with a focused look on areas of improvement and wellness and then subsequently concrete changes made to the program. One thing that they really wanted to focus on was a change to their on-call experience and state put together an on-call patient task force basically to improve workflow while on call. Again, focusing on that efficiency piece. They made a food action team as well to provide healthy foods while they were on call, promoting a culture of wellness. Um, And then they also emphasize the importance of preventative care amongst themselves, which is really um, applaudable as residents, I think, providing residents with psychotherapists, nutritionists, dentists, and PCPs, um, really focusing again on that personal wellness. Secondly, coming from Columbia, which is a conversation we just got to have personally with Dr. Goffman at SMFM, they've really just promoted a culture of wellness in the way that they structure their work. So they have even more flexible and unusual work hours to help accommodate folks. So for instance, for certain physicians, working 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. may be better. It allows them to hang out with their kids and take them to school in the morning, um, get some other things done. Other people work better in the 9 to 5 scheme because that's just what they're used to. Again, it's something, again, that they don't proscribe anybody to working in a particular set expectation, which is really a phenomenal and unique approach, I think. Faye, how about some others? The American Medical Association actually came out with something called Steps Forward that has a bunch of different ways that you can use technology to help you become more efficient um, in your work. And so, um, again, focusing on that efficiency portion. And um, actually, in 2019, Lee et al. um, published uh, their findings in the Journal of General Internal Medicine, where um, they used some of these changes to make their practice more efficient. So one thing that they identified that was difficult for them was managing patient calls that would come in. Um, They realized that a patient would call multiple times because things would get bounced around a lot, and sometimes there would be six different exchanges before they got a patient call resolved. And so because of this, which was super inefficient, they decided to come in with what's called a one-touch team, which their goal was to resolve 50% of incoming calls with one touch, meaning that one provider would get that 
call and resolve it. So what they did was they had um, NPs who would help with this in-basket management. And then they also had those NPs cover for physicians who were out of the office so that they didn't have a patient calling back multiple times, getting the answer, oh, Dr. Smith is not in today, so we can't resolve your call today. And what they also did was they decompressed some of their clinic schedules. So we all get that dreaded feeling when we see 20 patients or something slotted into our afternoon clinic and we realize that we're not going to be able to get any of our notes done and then we'll be up until 8 p.m. writing our notes. And so what they did was they actually added in two administrative desktop slots into their clinic to allow for that clerical work to take place during the day so that physicians did not end up with, you know, 15 charts to sign at the end of the day. And some of the things that we've actually done at our institution are things like sharing of dot phrases. So these dot phrases that get passed on from resident to resident with all of our templates for clinic and for the OR and things like that to help with that efficiency of documentation. There is also a compiled list of therapists that accept our insurance in order to promote wellness. And of course, we also have this very lovely no questions asked um, unspoken policy in our residency. If you're sick, someone will cover you. If you need to go to a medical appointment, someone will cover you. And you're not made to feel guilty or have to come back for those missing days. Um, You know that if you need to have something done to take care of you, that your fellow residents will be there to help cover those days. And then the last couple of things is I think we have the efficiency of our call schedule. We really try to minimize people in-house who don't have to be there. And so by allowing more residents to have more time off, this does, I think, allow um, for us to build our personal resilience. And finally, in terms of mentorship, we do have mandatory mentors and group mentors. Um, so meaning one cohort of residents do share one mentor um, sometimes. And this automatically builds in social time. And again, that promotes that culture of wellness overall. All right, Nick. So um, I, I think we talked about a lot of things in this podcast that we don't talk about a lot in our other podcast. It's not really a podcast where you're trying to, you know, take home a bunch of learning points, but maybe we can summarize the three-pronged approach to physician well-being. Yeah, absolutely. So again, three major things that should be thought about here. The first being culture of wellness. Again, not necessarily really coming from the individual, but from the institution at large. Part of this can be addressed certainly by focusing on work hours, Um, but a lot of it too really comes in the form of effective mentorship, awareness and destigmatization of mental health issues, um, and then promoting a culture that is willing and able to help and accommodate. The second thing is efficiency of practice, where you're allowing residents and physicians to achieve productivity with minimum wasted effort. We all went into this because we want to take care of patients and not computers. And so thinking about um, and identifying uh, points where the system, whether it's the EMR or other things, could be made more efficient so that physicians can spend more time with their patients or at home and not thinking about work. And the last part of this three-pronged approach is personal resilience, again, which is difficult to define, but again, some people may refer to this as grit. And it's kind of hard to answer how folks build that personal resilience in the short time that we have here. Again, we think that this is where taking care of yourself comes in and where those things like yoga and meditation, etc. may be helpful, but everybody's a little bit different in what really gets them going. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of um, our first wellness podcast. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee.
So if you enjoyed the podcast today, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review. You can also find us on our social media on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee One, on Facebook and Instagram at Creogs Over Coffee. And if you want to give us some support, go ahead and go on to Patreon. Um, we'll give you a shout out for your support, www.patreon.com slash Creogs Over Coffee. You can find show notes and references for this episode, as well as all of our previous episodes on our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. Have a suggestion for us or a correction for a previous show? Email us, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. 